Hey friend, welcome to Red Hot Mindset. Today's topic is actually pretty heavy. We are talking about some childhood trauma in the form of abuse, and I want to prepare you for that in case you have kids in the room and want to wait to listen to this when there are no little ears present. This is a tough subject, but I also feel like it's important to talk about. Feel free to hit pause and come back later when you're alone. My guest today went through the unimaginable, not only with his mom, but also with his stepmom from a very young age. His story is powerful. It will make you angry, it will make you cry, and it will make you feel all the emotions in between. It did that for me. We don't go into detail about the trauma, but if you want to hear more about his specific struggle victory story, I encourage you to pick up a copy of the Lemonade Stand 2 anthology. I'll leave a link in it in the show notes, but you can also find it on my website, redhotmindset.com, if you hover over the books tab. Jorick McLean grew up in the heart of small town America in what is known as Michigan's thumb area. After college, he moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where he held executive roles in the insurance industry, professional sports, and the veterinary field. Throughout Jorick's life, he found himself at the epic center of weird and ridiculous workplace nonsense. This propensity to end up in wild predicaments became the genesis for two books, Magnet of Madness, Volume 1 and 2. He is also co-author of The Lemonade Stand 2, which offers insight into a troubled childhood, which turned out okay in the end. Jorick and his wife are loving life, living as U.S. expats in Lisbon, Portugal. He told me no question is off limits today, so we're going to dive deep into his struggles, the mental shifts he made, how he made the best of the cards he was dealt, and the biggest lessons he learned from his childhood experience. We also talk about how to help our men open up about any trauma they may have encountered so our relationships can thrive and they don't have to feel like they have to bottle the pain up inside and they can move forward from the past into a thriving future. One of Jorick's missions is to encourage others to get help sooner rather than later so those old wounds of the past don't creep into adult relationships with spouses, partners, or kids. It's important to resolve the past or at least come to grips with it so you don't have to keep reliving it through current or future relationships. I have a feeling this episode is going to be so impactful for you. Hold on to your seats. Let's step into the fire with Jorick. Welcome to Red Hot Mindset. I'm your host, Gabe Cox, and through this podcast, I'm on a mission to help you step into the fire of refinement so God can mold and transform you into a woman ready to step into your calling and crush your goals his way. I do this by helping you overcome your mental barriers through a faith-based approach of building inner strength and resilience. Each episode, I will bring you thought process, productivity tips, and inspirational stories from everyday people, all so you can live intentionally and move forward confidently with the gifts God has given you. As a running enthusiast, I believe that life is one massive marathon and it's up to you to run your own race and to finish it well. Step into the fire with me because I know you will come out stronger. Hey, Jorick, thanks so much for joining me today on Red Hot Mindset. I'm so glad to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I'm jacked to be a part of this program. Yes, I am so excited about it. Before we dive in, I'd just love for you to share a little bit about yourself and your family so we can get to know you better. Cool. Uh, so my name is George McLean. Uh, I'm actually coming to you from Lisbon, Portugal. I am not European, nor am I Portuguese, but I uh, grew up in the Midwest. I spent uh, most of my formative years there. And then afterwards, my adult life, when I had to do adulting, got jobs in Phoenix, Arizona. So most of my adult life, I was there. And a couple of years ago, uh, several years ago, got married. And my wife had an opportunity to uh, get a job transfer to Europe 
always wanted to live here. We come here for travel. So the next best thing is to be here where we can travel cheaply and explore the world, at least on this side of the pond. Uh, also have a 26-year-old son. And that's about it. We're just uh, living the dream right now. And as uh, the rest of the world is, we're trying to just deal with the circumstances uh, of you know, a crazy, surreal time that we're all living in. Right. This is going to go in the history books and our grandkids are going to be asking us about it, you know, exactly, exactly. (laughs) that crazy 2020 year. What was that all about? Anyway, I love it. I love that you're in Portugal. I looked up pictures. I've never been, um, but it's just looks so beautiful. And I hope to be able to travel to that side of the world at some point here again. Um, But you know, with the, with everything going on, I probably won't be doing that for a while, but that's okay. So um, now you have written a few books now. You were a part of the Lemonade Stand, which is the book we're really going to be talking about today in your story, your struggle victory story. Um, but will you share just a little bit about your uh, first two that you wrote as well? Sure. Um, I have two books out there that I had uh, completed last year called Magnet of Madness. There's a volume one and two. I had enough stories that it turned into two books. That was not the intention. But if uh, anyone that uh, is listening in your audience Everyone has crazy workplace stories. It doesn't, you can be in high school and be 17 and already have crazy stories. You can be retired and have a career's work. So what I had done in my different journey through jobs is I had written down and kept post-it notes, kept things in my Trapper Keeper, uh, my Franklin Planner of different oddball scenarios that I got myself into and predicaments I got myself out of. And I happened to compile them into uh, it certainly isn't a how-to uh, work or a how-to lead. It's more of I wanted people to make fun or enjoy my struggles with work and some of the weird situations I got myself into. And specifically, I've always wanted to write a book, but I also felt because I was writing it during the pandemic, there was so much negativity out there that was coming from every angle and all over the globe that I wanted something that was lighthearted and made people feel good, even if it was at my expense, if you will. Some of those, I can't believe he did this, or I would never have done that. Good, those were the types of responses I wanted from the book. And so after doing that, I just had this other story from childhood that had no business being in a workplace, but I also didn't know what to do with it uh, until our publisher came. Mm, Yes, that's, and it's a story that needed to be shared. Um, This is, like I had said, in the beginning, this is a pretty hard topic that we're talking about today, and um, not definitely not lighthearted. And t- speaking of crazy stories, as I'm reading your story, because I've read it a couple of times now, I'm just, I'm going, this is insane. How does this happen? What is, I don't understand. Really, this is true? And wanting to like throw the book across the room and getting mad and being in tears and all the emotions, especially as a mom that come reading, reading your story. So I know I don't, I want, I want everybody to go get a copy of the lemonade stand too to read Jorick's story because it is powerful, but I'd love for you just to give us a little snippet about um, what they're going to find inside. Sure. Uh, They're going to find uh, from the age of, uh, let's say four, when I have first memories till about the age of 10 or 11, Uh, a fair amount of uh, childhood trauma uh, of which I was not signing up for, that's for sure. Uh, I would say some gymnastics that I had no, uh, I didn't want to participate in that involuntary gymnastics, uh, I'll call it, Mm -hmm. uh, that um, 
through that um, was something that, as I'll call it a typical guy mode, I, I took all of this stuff as a child, packed it up in a nice little Samsonite, put it in the closet and figured I'll deal with it someday. Uh, of which when I got to college, it was that time. I always knew that there was something that was unique that I needed to, I'll say, get sorted or figure out. And so the struggle is going through early childhood baloney, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And then in college, uh, having an opportunity to get most of that reconciled, whether you want to call it forgiven, let go of, moved on from to where most of my adult life has not been plagued with things that happened in this case, 40 to 45 years ago, I was able to, I, I called it, I left college with a backpack of problems versus a suitcase of problems. And to me, that was progress. And I think all of us still have a backpack or a purse or a wallet full of something that we're always going to work with. But to me, the, the, the story is getting help and, and not being afraid to do that, especially coming from, I'll say, a guy's perspective when you're you know, keeping a stiff upper lip, also of a, a generation, Gen X, which we were still a part of the kind of suck it up buttercup, um, push through when something happens, you know, don't let it outside the family type of thing. Um, for me, the hope is really that my story, people will go, holy cow, I can't believe that that happened but it will also inspire them or motivate them to either themselves or their significant others, particularly guys, uh, to get them out of a rut that they're in or if they're dealing with baggage. It doesn't have to be childhood. It could be a relationship gone sour, a job that went south. Uh, it, could, it could be later in life, but dealing with it and finding help so that those issues don't keep lingering into other parts of your life. I didn't want my childhood to linger into marriages or kids and have those unresolved things now become a part of my daily life. Uh, and it's something that it took a while to get through uh, my head to say, okay, I'm, as much as I dealt with it in college, I'd say even in later in life, there's still times where things would come up and I have to remind myself of where I've been what I went through, everything's going to be okay. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. Even if it's raining, there's still sun above the clouds. And that's something that uh, I hope resonates with people who pick up a copy or get the ebook and, and read it. Mm. And that it did resonate with me. Actually, as I was reading it, I'm going, all the struggles I'm going through right now, do they really matter? And, you know, it, it helped me put into perspective even just what's going on in the world. Like, yeah. COVID, no COVID, whatever. It's like, eventually we'll move on to something different and eventually it's going to be okay. And, and I just look at it and go, there's so many more things in the world, so much more struggle that I don't even know. And then I'm thankful. I don't know. Right. Um, right. and that my kids don't know, but through your story, we can, we can really have that hope to say we can, we can deal with what we're dealing with and we can make things better. And I feel like that's what you did. That was the, the goal. Uh, and I think, and it was also, I'll say recently, moving to Portugal and just in the process of writing the first two books, being a part of the Lemonade Stand, um, so many people that were close to me passed away. Mm -hmm. Moved in the fall of 2019, two months after we moved. Within two months, my dad passed away. He wasn't doing great. 
but that was a surprise. Planned on seeing him a few more times, having them come over to Portugal, didn't happen. A uh, close friend of mine, brain cancer. I was fortunate, even with the pandemic, it took a while to get a flight back to the US to be able to see him, but got to see him while he was still, I'll say lucid one last time. Um, but so many people, um, the, the gift of life was was going and fading quickly that I, I really, when I sent the last draft into our publisher and said, okay, this is what I got. My whole focus was, I don't know how much time I got left. I might have tomorrow might have something might happen a week, a month, 20 years from now. I only have so much time. I have no idea when the last tick is going to be, but I want to spend as much of that time as I reasonably can thinking about good things, positive things, living life, because there was a portion, I'll say early on, where I was just happy to be alive, literally. Mm. <laughs> and so it was just getting day by day, making it through the day and not necessarily looking uh, into the distance going, well, here's what the future is going to be. I'm going to do this and that. It was just, if I can make it through tomorrow, that's good. And I'll make it through the next day. And I would say to anyone who has gone through traumatic experiences, the sooner you're able to reconcile with that. And I don't mean, uh, you know, if you're able to let it go, I, I, some people can bury it actually and move on. I mean, that, that, that gets resolved, but some people are able to compartmentalize that. If you spend more time thinking about today and tomorrow and less time about the past, it, I think to me, that's a better place to be in. And we're in no, there's no point, I think, in our history, and especially in the US, where mental health has been more approachable, has been more open and more, it's more of a common conversation. It's not this outlier, ooh, I have to go see somebody and I have to keep a secret and I'm not going to tell anybody. It's very open. And there's a number of organizations, and especially because of the world that we're living in right now, there's a lot of baggage creeping up in people's lives that didn't exist in the past. And having the opportunity to just expunge it, get it all out, is so worth it. And I know, and I can speak from experience that what I went through, there are, I'll say, colleagues that I've met or friends that have gone through similar things, and they have an inmate number. Uh, on them, or they have done some serious harm to themselves. I just happen to make it out, if you will. Um, and I just didn't, I don't like looking back. It's very, I'm a walking contradiction because I love history. Part of being in Europe is the history and the historical mm -hmm. aspect of living someplace. I like other people's history and I love ancient history. I don't necessarily like my history. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I have other things to worry about and think about. I think about my future more than I think about my past. Mm, that's a good perspective too, because it is important. It's, it's important to know where we came from and knowing that our past does kind of um, lead us into our future, but our past doesn't have to become our future. And um, it seems like that's kind of where you're at. I would love to go back a little bit because you're talking about mental health. And um, I've, I mean, I've been very open about it. I struggled with it early on in adulthood, um, still have little, little bouts of it where I have to deal with it. And I, it's so prevalent right now, especially in our young kids too. Um, there's just an epidemic. And I think that's and now we are being more open about it, but for a while there it was hush hush. People didn't want to share. 
And it's important for us to share so that we can we can help others along and show them you're not alone. Because I feel like when you're in that mental health, um, when like if you're dealing with depression or anxiety or any of those things, you feel so alone. Even if you know you're not, you just feel it. And um, from the young age of four, when all this started, now um, we're talking about some childhood abuse and it started... Um, through your mom and later your stepmom, and your mom had been dealing with her own mental health issues. And along the way, I mean, you were really young. And I remember in the book, you were saying that you just, it just seemed normal to you. You knew no different. Um, so what was your, your state of mind? I mean, at four years old, you might not know, but as you grew up, were you still feeling like this is just how it is as a kid? Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh because even if you're playing in the sandbox with friends, uh, whether you're five, six, seven, it isn't a conversation of, hey, so does your mom do this or that to you? That's not something that, and I, I'm not sure if it was today's kids or when I grew up in the 70s, I don't think it would really be any different. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know that something is necessarily different. Seven, eight, nine started kind of realizing because in those moments that I was at friends' houses, let's say after school or before I went home or if I, there was a sleepover, it was just, it was different. There wasn't some of the things that were happening to me that were happening, were not happening to them. So I'm going, okay, without asking questions and just observing, okay, things are, things seem to be a little more mellow at these places. So can I spend another night here, please? This would be awesome. Um, but th the mindset, I think as a kid, the young kid not knowing any better was probably good uh, from the standpoint of if you were old enough to really understand what's going on, it probably would have really messed me up to, to a greater degree. I think being young and not knowing um, there was something good about that, uh, I will say, just from the, the amount of damage that could have been done. When I was older, uh, so let's say kind of six to 10, six to 11, those years, uh, I'm old enough to know kind of right from wrong. I'm old enough to know um, some of the physical and mental things that took place were not right, meaning other friends weren't experiencing the same things. Other friends weren't kind of combing their hair forward to kind of cover up a big goose egg here mm -hmm. or, um, you know, it's springtime and people are wearing short sleeve shirts and I'm, I'm going to pull on a, uh, a, you know, sort of a, a sweater or something that doesn't quite fit, uh, just because I'm I'm cold. Uh, but I, so I'm I'm aware enough to know that there are certain things that other people weren't experiencing. But uh, to back to get back to something I had mentioned earlier is really thinking day to day and uh, very much. I I woke up. I need to get through today. And if I get through today and I made it, good. I'm going to try to do that tomorrow and replicate that. And that was very much my childhood. We're living in 24-hour cycles. And so I, I, I like to say I was the 24-hour news before CNN started and Fox and all these other channels is that I was constantly aware of my situation the older I got. And um, just as, as I got older, it became more pervasive to where like, okay, I have, something's got to give here or else I'm not going to be around. Or, or I'm getting old enough to the point where I might do something that is not necessarily healthy for myself or others. Um, thankfully, 
none of that happened and I'm here to talk about it and here and I'm thriving. Um, but the mindset is day to day, just get through it. And, and maybe, you know, uh, people that are runners thinking about, uh, instead of thinking of a marathon, you, you chop it up into segments and I got to get through a certain mile marker. And then I get to my 26 miles. Um, football, it's, it's each play. It's not thinking about the whole game, but putting it into parts and uh, business structure. You just don't, you start with the end in mind, but you back down and how do you, you don't finish, you don't start with a car, you finish with the first part or you start with the first part and build thousands of parts mm -hmm. to get a car. And I think that's, that's something that helped me later in life in ways that I never thought uh, sort of the unintended consequence of thinking in day-to-day -day versus necessarily the long view. I think one of the difficulties I didn't necessarily have a great long-term perspective on things because I didn't really think of that there would be a long-term. So it helps me if you need improv, if you need something in the moment, if you ask me to do something on the fly, I'm really good at that. And I credit the ridiculous experience I went through because it forced me to think on the fly because I didn't know from moment to moment what was going to happen. Um, so I, I, I call it, I'm good in crunch time. So if you need a paper done tomorrow morning, I'll kick it out and I'll have it to you by 5.30 in the morning so you can turn it in at seven. And I think it's going to be a really good paper. Now, you're supposed to take three weeks to create the paper and a rough draft and all this other stuff. I'm not good doing that because the long-term, even in my professional career, thinking longitudinally is has always been a challenge. It's more of in the moment. Um, and that's, it is what it is. I mean, there's some things that let's say counseling doesn't resolve and I don't know that everything has to be resolved. Part of who I am is very much uh, improv in the moment, uh, quick wit. Uh, I'll give the, uh, probably the inappropriate one-liner uh, that will get people laughing, but also something that can't be used on YouTube, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. But if you were to give me kind of, well, what's your, one of the hardest questions I always had to ask in interviews and being in HR for much of my career, I was asking them, but when people asked me, give me your five-year plan. And I always had to think about that because I knew somebody was going to ask about long-term and I just give a canned answer that I thought that they would like because I never really thought that far ahead. Um, and that's something that I think in talking to a number of people that have, I'll say, shared childhood experiences that were similar to mine very much have that same mindset that you're you're in the moment and you're going to get through today and so it's good to live in the now it's good to think about the future as long as you don't let the kind of weight of the past drag you down okay yeah and it sounds like you were in survival mode in your childhood so that's kind of the day-to-day -day. i'm just i'm just surviving today and that's your goal which is probably um been a part of how you've become that quick wit and the on your toes being able to do those things because that's that's what you knew that's um one thing that is i'll say people either like about me or they struggle with me is i'm, I'm good without scripts i, I don't <laughs> necessarily like if you put a script in front of me for instance of this conversation i mm -hmm. probably you would be pulling your hair out going that's not what it says here please <laughs> stick to what it says um I'm better being impromptu. And I think that 
I, again, didn't realize that it, uh, what I went through was going to be such a great help later in life because so much of what we do is a quick reaction. Very rarely in our personal life or professional life do we actually get to plan and strategize. In some cases we do, but mm -hmm. so many decisions are in the moment and they have to be made right away. And you wake up, uh, your, your child's sick, you, can't, you have an eight o'clock meeting, you got to push that back because you need to go get an appointment. You have all these things that the night before when you went to bed were set in stone. And by nine o'clock the next morning, everything's blown up. So I seem to do better when things are blowing up. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I do better in adversity than I do when things are calm. And I wish that I was better at that. But if things are not good or things are tense, let's say in a business setting or personal setting, I seem to, I have a way of lightening the mood and making people smile. When things are great, I'm the most quiet, meek person out there. People hmm. wouldn't know it from this conversation, but um, usually I'm, I'm very complacent and laid back because everything's normal. And I really don't know what that is. Uh, when things are out of sorts, then it's sort of my comfort zone in a very weird way. Mm, that's so interesting. Good thing we didn't script this then. <laughs> no I love it being candid anyway. I just think it's yeah. so much better, so much better. So as you, you know, as you're growing up, were you, was there ever a time or did you have to work through any thoughts about um, I deserve this or um, it's because of me that this is happening? Let's see, I would say... When my parents got divorced, um, I, uh, granted, I was five at the time, so I was not really aware. But as I was going to, I was living with my dad and going to see my mom every other weekend, which is rare because most people, it's the other way around. Majority of kids, mm -hmm. uh, the mother gets the, the children. Um, you know, I kept thinking, okay, something's, something's not right. Um, you know, I don't... I don't know that I really, I don't know. I, I think at that point, I still relied on the fact that what I didn't know didn't hurt me. And, and my mindset and where I was um, mentally was, I was just a little kid trying to get by and it didn't, nothing really made sense and that's okay. Uh, I didn't really have a, uh, I, I won't say I had, a, I didn't really have a support mechanism or support system. Um, I think I was just trying to live in the moment, live day to day. I had my toys, my action figures, and I, I didn't look up much. I didn't talk much at that time. I, I kept to myself. Uh, I think in, in, in dealing especially with my mom and not realizing until later what she was having to go through in that experience, I I pretty much, I, I shut down and just, um, I did my thing. And I, I, again, knew at an early age, I, I had to, I had to get through another day. Otherwise I wasn't going to see my, you know, Darth Vader and my Luke Skywalker toys. And that was, that was really it. Mm, wow. And I, as I'm reading it, I'm in my head, I'm going, how do these school counselors not know? How does your dad not know? I know your dad worked long hours, but how was it? A, how were you able to hide it for so long? So I will say, because there's kind of two separate parts to the story with, with my mom. Um, for the most part, I, I'm home. It's, it's prior to preschool. And so um, 
at the time they were still teaching. They were both teachers at the time. And uh, she was still in a position where she was able to teach before she had to back down from that. But uh, that he was coaching and my grandfather happened to have a heart attack or stroke, I believe. So my dad, uh, even after teaching, would go help him in another one town over with a furniture business and carpet business that he had. And I think that I was in bed at night and he didn't really realize during the day that there's a great part of the day that I was, I'll say, quarantined, <laughs> let's put it that way, uh, and, uh, without choice. Uh, and again, uh, what is the good thing is, is when he did happen to realize or come in unexpected one time and see, okay, well, what's going on here? He, he was able to get me out of that situation immediately. So I don't know what, was, what went through his head other than the fact he wasn't there a great deal. And that's not a boo-hoo, that's just the reality. The other part of the story uh, with my first stepmother, where things really got interesting, that's something where I think between the three jobs, um, there were many days, there might be a few days in a row that I went to bed, I might hear him come home at eight or nine o'clock at night, and then he was going back to work, a graveyard shift at a place at 11. So unless I happened to play hooky and I was still kind of up in bed and awake, I didn't see him very much. And that's something that uh, in hindsight, um, you know, looking back, there were numerous opportunities for me to, I'll say, show what was going on with me physically. And, uh, and I think that the same result, him getting me out of that situation, would have happened much sooner. I just, at that time, without seeing him that often, um, I was scared. And also, not knowing the dynamics, I don't know that he's going to take my side <laughs> on mm. something. I, I, you, you hope that, but also I'm not old enough to understand the dynamics of relationships and how a, a, you know, a husband-wife and, and children and how that all plays in, into it. Again, looking back at it, uh, early on in that second period of fun, um, I had, uh, again, a, a number of times when I was alone with him where I could have rolled up my sleeve or taken a shirt off or had shown kind of the extent of things. And I, I just didn't. I was, I was scared. Um, and I, I just, there, there was a confrontation that happened with my first stepmom that basically uh, set me up to make sure that I, I, it was sort of, um, I guess I can explain it to the audiences. There's a court case and there's attorneys battling. And uh, so you're really hoping that you can, let's say, convict someone. And then the other person going, I really hope I can get this person off. But let's say a jury trial or with a judge, um, there's still a chance that the most guilty person could walk free or the most innocent person could be found guilty. There's still a percent out there that, you know, justice, as I think the saying is justice is blind. It's not always fair. And so I didn't know that. Um, and because I didn't see a lot of them, that I, I didn't think that things were going to be, I, I had one opportunity to get it right. I didn't, I, I thought that if for some reason I was going to go back to sleep one night, or if I was going to be someplace where I was still in that situation after I had the conversation with my dad, that, I don't know, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. 
I wouldn't be here. I think that that was a realistic possibility. So it just so happened that enduring it for the amount of time that I did uh, and kind of coming forward or coming clean when I did, it was the right time. I, I will say, you know, if you're looking at, if it was meant to be, that was the time it was meant to be. Um, and and it, it's good that it did because it wasn't gonna happen. Uh, it, it, it was just the beginning of winter in this particular situation. So there was a lot more opportunities for things to go south uh, and for me to be a, uh, uh, a snowman out in the middle of the driveway. So uh, I'm glad it didn't end up that way. Yeah, well, me too, me too. I mean, you were so young like just a baby really. And when all of this is happening, I just, I, it just tears me inside just thinking about it. But what I loved in the story too, is when you did reach out to your dad and immediately, just like he did when it was your mom, he immediately took you out of that situation. And, um, you knew, that he had your back and it was safe. And I feel like as I was reading, it sounded like you guys became closer through it. And even going into college, um, you did some counseling together and really grew through it together. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment there. Um, I had always been close to my dad, even in early childhood. Um, what I didn't do, again, I think it's part of just being the naivety of being a child is, I didn't look back and go, gosh, when I was four, um, I, you know, my dad found me and, and, and changed the situation. Um, I didn't think about that when I was 10, which I kind of wish that I had, or if I was seven, eight, nine before uh, 10. Um, but we did. I think after that, we had lived together for a few years and then he was dating some people. And then um, my second stepmom, so third mom, came into the picture and they started dating and got married. But there was a period of time where it was just the two of us, I'll say, after this really ridiculousness of childhood. And that's where we, he, he had his private pilot's license. We did a lot of flying together. That's where we had a lot of, I'll say, cool one-on-one -on -one talks. Um, being a sports fan and being, I'll say, a typical kid, I loved sports. So getting to a baseball game once in a while or to a football game or something, that was a way to be able to bond. And we didn't really have to say much. It was even at later in life before he passed. I call it the days of our lives conversation. And where I'm going with that is not enough has changed in either our lives, let's say over the last 10 years, but it was sort of, I don't know, bow and hope on days of our lives where I think they're still on the show if the show still exists. And I could probably watch it now and it hasn't changed much from high school other than everybody looks older. That <laughs> not, not enough had changed in our lives. How are you doing? What's going on? We'd catch up, have a few minutes and then we'd be done and then we'd kind of catch up the following month. But I think he, he realized, I'll say in the college counseling, just um, the depths of what I went through. And he, I think he always um, was pissed at himself uh, for not seeing things or not spending more time, uh, I'll say, whether it be inspecting me is the wrong word, but just checking in on me more often um, because that he was really the only person that would have. I, my, my other family, it was a small town that we grew up in, uh, were, were very isolated. Uh, we happen to live out in the, in the country. Uh, close to my stepmom's parents and her in-laws. 
So I was sort of uh, isolated. It was a long walk to get into the small town to go see my grandparents. Uh, and I think he always kind of kicked himself. But in the end, uh, what was good, it was early on in counseling. I said, hey, dude, I, I don't have any ill will. And, I, and as much as other people may go, I can't believe your dad. And, other, and I've heard, even in telling my story, I can't believe your dad. I never held anything against him because in the one occasion when I was a young child, he pulled me out of a situation I didn't even know that I was in. And, I, and as earlier, I didn't even know was wrong. Um, and then when I was older, when I, when I felt comfortable enough to come forward, he immediately got me out of that situation. There wasn't any wavering. It, it took about 20 minutes of him uh, saying a lot of unsavory things to my stepmom me getting stuff in a duffel bag and then I'm off to my grandparents. So it didn't really, um, it, it didn't bother me at all. I did want him to know some of the stuff that, that went on because I, he knew some of it, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like the high school counselors, uh, the question that you had about that is I, and I, the, the reason I glossed over it and danced around it is because I'll be honest, I thought in that's 1970s, small town for you i don't they were more concerned that i was a child of divorce i was growing up with my dad there was a 100 percent chance that i was going to be a juvenile delinquent um do drugs be incarcerated um get someone pregnant by the time we're both 16 um all of those things Mm -hmm. Uh, the focus was not on anything that was going on at home, even though I did happen to say, hey, I have some fun going on in my personal life, if you'd like to hear it. That was uh, glossed over. So I, I didn't really have much, uh, I'll say, faith in the, in the system. And uh, there's still kinks that need to be worked on. But thankfully, if someone is going through a similar experience today, um, I think that there's thousands of more outlets that people that can use. And not necessarily having to rely on family to do so. They can call a phone number and get out or in the days with Uber. So they can find a way to get out of that situation, even if it's just temporarily to get their, uh, you know, their affairs sorted. Mm, yeah, it is true. There is a lot more help that can be had here in this day and age if we reach out for it, right? If we're willing to, to do that. And, you know, what you went through in your childhood didn't break you, but it certainly could have. And it, it could have been, they probably were trying to. Why do you think that is? Why do you, what do you think helped you to stand and not to have it break you? My standard answer is just dumb luck and happenstance. And <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily mean that. I guess I mean that to get a laugh, but um, there are people that have analyzed that for me. Um, it wasn't my faith or a faith. I, I grew up Catholic, but at that point I did a whole lot of praying and it mm. didn't end up well. So I, it wasn't like, okay, that's the reason I can attribute. There were a number of, um, I'll say people that had written me off or had already made their assumptions about me. I don't know. I, I, because there are people that have, that I know that have gone through much more turbulent situations and came out fine and didn't need, I'll say, as much counseling. Somehow they, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And there's other people that um, a particular act set them off on on a path that they just couldn't recover from. Um, 
I think the good thing is my nothing happened with my dad. So I had one, um, my mom, I, as I was getting to become a teenager and reading some, I'll say pipes of pop psychology books, I was beginning to understand who she was and also realizing what she did was not really something that she knew she was doing and, and not to dismiss or to defend it, but to some degree, she really didn't know what she was doing. Um, that helped me to, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out why's in our life and, and you know, we got to get to the why. Well, sometimes you don't need to know the why. You can spend the rest of your life driving yourself nuts trying to find it. In that case, I think it, it comforted me to know that it wasn't her fault she had her own demons that she was chasing and probably things that might have happened to her with a first stepmom. That was the hardest one because it was the most, I'll say, violent uh, situation and perpetual that it helped in high school and college going through and, and reconciling. I don't know what she went through. And most normal, well-adjusted people don't treat other people that way. So I can only deduce from that that there had to be a lot of baggage from her somewhere along the line that she was going to transfer on to me so that it helped me uh, to realize that there's probably a percentage of what went on in that relationship with myself and her that uh, didn't have anything to do with me. It was something else that uh, was out there. Um, but how I made it, um, I, I think there is, I've always had and I've been told this by, I'll say, grandparents and, and family members that there's always this, um, I can do it. There's a kind of a stick to it. I'm, I'm sort of that thorn in your side. I'm going to frustrate you because I'm always going to be there. And I, whether I'm playing sports uh, or doing other things, professionally, personal relationships, um, my, my goal is to make sure that I don't miss the big moments and I, I, I want to make sure that I can, I guess, be present and in the moment. And it's not necessarily answering your question, but specifically, I tried to think about why am I here when so many other people aren't here? Mm -hmm. And I don't have a really plausible answer other than the fact that the parenting, my dad, uh, being very supportive. My mom, once I was out of that situation, oddly enough, the older that she got, and because I wasn't in the day-to-day -day thing, our relationship changed and she was more supportive as much as she could be. I was no longer in a situation with my first stepmom. And I think to anything, I had a break. I had a break after that to where, you know, there's a lot of child psychologists, Piaget, you name it, who talk about early adolescence and those formative years from childbirth to 12, pretty much in many ways define much of what your rest of your life's going to be as far as, let's say, your values and your positions. And I think just getting up every day and getting the mindset of, I'm going to make it through today. And I'm, I'm not ready to go. I, I don't know what's next when I'm gone. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But I, I knew that I wasn't ready as a kid. Uh, I'm not ready yet to say goodbye to people. And that was it. It was just, I didn't want to go. I, and, and, and I didn't know when I, when I said I don't want to go. I didn't know where I was going, whether that would be heaven, hell. I, I, 
depending on your faith, I must have been a really bad person in a past life. I mean, and maybe I'm trying to make up for it this time, depending on where you're going with it. Um, I didn't know. I, and I still, to some day, there are days where I do kind of remind myself and pinch myself going, okay, I'm, I'm living overseas. I, I heard about this place and talked about this as a kid going, someday I'll take a trip. And not only did I take multiple trips, but now I'm living in a place that I could have never imagined being that same child. Um, and how I got there, how I got here from there is, is just, it's craziness. There's, there's, an old, uh, there, there's an old rocker, his name's Joe Walsh. So he's a rock and roller. He also was a member of the Eagles. And I don't, I've never been able to find this quote. So I think he just made this up, but there was a documentary <laughs> about the band and he's talking about, you know, there's this philosopher that talks about as you live your life, you have all this random chaos, and these events coming in and all these things that are happening at the same time and nothing makes sense. And you're just trying to get through each day and you just, this happens and that happens. And then as you go older, you look back and you look at your life as a finely crafted novel, but at the time it doesn't. And I think that that's, I think, not trying to overthink what happened has been a good thing. Because I, I, I think if I tried to get to the, the why or how, why me when others had different paths, um, I don't know if I'd be the same person. I think to some degree, I, I need to let it be that if you want to say it's in someone else's hands and there's another design out there, fantastic. If there's another, I'll say purpose for me, super. Um, I'm open to that. Um, but I, I will say I'm happy to be here. Uh, of all things being equal, I'm, I'm happy that I'm still uh, living life and trying to enjoy it as much as I can, uh, given how it started. Mm, yeah. And I like how you said, um, you know, sometimes we could just get too stuck on the why. And sometimes the why really isn't what matters and moving, moving past it is what matters. Um, yeah. yeah, it's so interesting to me. So when it comes to vulner vulnerability too, I, did, did this trauma make you shut out the world for a time? Was it hard to open up, especially um, with your wife or um, is, was it something you had to overcome and figure out? Great question. Um, so Backpack or back to that. I had Samsonites going to college and I just walked out with the duffel bag. Uh, one of my duffel bag of problems, um, based upon the childhood, um, most of the trauma was mother, mom, stepmom. By the time second stepmom or third mom came around, I was sort of, I was already done. So it was sort of numb to whatever was going to go on. Um, the commitment. So got married at 44. If you hear my story, that's not a shocker. When most of my friends are celebrating 20 years, they have grandkids uh, or in some cases, their own, let's say second or third marriages, I'm getting my start late in life. And it wasn't um, for any other reason than I put everything into work and I value who I was and what I became was work uh, because relationships hurt and uh, most of the things that I didn't deal with in college, let's say, was dealing with, let's say, rejection or when things, as every relationship, there's tenseness or there's disagreements or there should be. I don't think everybody's, uh, even though you may be meant for one another, you're going to have 
differences on how you look at the world or money, communication, politics, whatever. Um, it, it made and it led to some really bad decisions with relationships. And I will say that both, not just from my part, I have to own that. So I can't say, well, gosh, I dated all these crazy women. Um, they in turn were dating a very crazy guy. So it was, there was a, a quid pro quo there. And where I was in life, um, I was getting better in my late 30s and early 40s of figuring out who, where I wanted to be, realizing the relationship I was in was just another dead end one that it were it sort of was it was there focused on work give relationship a, a a half you know what effort um she was too and finally getting a new job and saying okay some stuff i have to that duffel bag that i've been carrying since college i need to work on and the one place is the relationships and, and uh, when it comes to specifically female uh, a, a girlfriend or, or a wife and thankfully um it was fortunate that the timing of me dealing with that baggage, which was more counseling and working through how I ended up in this weird labyrinth of bad relationships of which I had an equal part of, um, worked because uh, my wife was also, there were some things going on with her that we just happened to meet at the right time. Six months earlier, six months later, we might have uh, not met or things wouldn't have worked out, but it just happened to be the right time where we were in the right place for each other. And what was good is that I, I let go of the, any of the rest of the baloney and hostility that I had because I didn't realize I was still carrying that and bringing that to my relationships and not work relationships and not uh, family relationships, specifically my significant other relationships. And then once I realized that, and then it was something that I'm like, gosh, I probably had some uh, amazing opportunities to get married along the way that I completely screwed up because I was being a, a just ridiculous. Um, but it was it was good to get through that. So as much as I say, get your stuff sorted as soon as you can, I was still sorting things out in my early 40s. And, and thankfully, I was. If I hadn't, I wouldn't be married. I would probably be living overseas. Um, but it, it's a reminder to me that there's still stuff you can work on. That there, mm -hmm. I still have, I have a wallet now of things, I'll say, tucked in between my credit cards of little issues that I'd like to kind of work on um, so that when I'm, let's say, 55, so in five years, I can be a better person than I am today and then work on some more that when I'm 60, if I make it that far, I can be a better person at 60 than I was at 55 or 50. Um, that's something that I, I hope your audience will, will see and read, not just in my story, but many of the stories that are in that book. Yeah, that's the one thing I love about the Lemonade Stand because they all are struggle victory stories and they all have their different perspective and uh, different trials that they went through. And because I feel like we all have that and our trial um, is significant to us, even if it seems small for what we had to go through with it, it's significant, right? And we're all learning through them. Um, and I think the vulnerability is really an important piece because it we do need to be able to open up um, to share so that we can overcome that past 
and move into the future and to be able to really have a very loving, very open relationship with our spouse or significant other. Um, do you have any tips for my listeners on how either they can be more vulnerable with their significant other or how they can help open them up? Especially if I have a lot of women listening and um, yeah. uh, opening up their men, because men, I feel like probably bottle it up a little bit more than women tend to, because women tend to just, we, we like talking, you know? Yes. There's no question that um, part of the reason of wanting to publish something is, is the fact that um, when things are going sideways, if you ask most uh, women, they will tell you probably too much information about a situation. Ask guys, how are you doing? I'm fine. Okay, there's a telltale sign that something's going on, or you get the you know you get the no one's going to say a word. I mean, I I've done a great job in my years of I can be as silent and as frustrating as any human being by not saying anything. And where someone wants to bludgeon me for uh, just say something, please. And I think that that is something that I think to some degree guys are older generations maybe not as much with younger generations. And I think that that's hopeful, but there's more of the old guard that just sort of compartmentalize and I'll deal with it on a rainy day, kind of like I did as a kid. And my premise has always been that I think most of the communication failures in a relationship, if you're going to have a seesaw, are more guy-related than girl-related uh, as far as communicating, talking, um, about any topic, uh, guys are going to be more willing to shut down. And I think for the audience specifically, if they're in a rut in their relationship, if there's something going on with a family member uh, that they're just, they're either not themselves or they just don't like talking about anything. It is literally getting into a, I won't say a closet, but if it needs to be a bathroom, a small space, someplace where they can't necessarily walk around you. And to some degree, get in their face and say, hey, you know, if there's something going on in our marriage, that it, if it's me, I, I need to know about it. But if you're projecting something to me that's been, that happened to you 20 some years ago, that isn't fair to me, not fair to the kids or child. It's not fair to you being the, 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 the male. Mm -hmm. um, you need to go get that thing figured out because um, that's something that I, I was very grateful of being able to resolve I'll say a lion's share of my baloney uh, and baggage is that that didn't come into my current relationship. So with my girlfriend, now wife, um, or son, that didn't bog down or get uh, the waters murky. And I think that it's important because in this day and age, you don't, as a, a guy, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your wife, which seems odd to me that you wouldn't, but I'm guessing there's people that would be. You can call someone, you can make an appointment, every medical, major medical plan in the United States. So if you're employed, self-employed may be different, but if you have an employer, every plan has a mental nervous component in it, which you can go get for an office copay. Some might be a deductible. You can go get a visit uh, or so many visits a year. Go do it. Um, I would encourage the spouse, wife, partner, uh, sister, mom, whoever it is, dad, brother, to keep pushing that button to the point of you're the pest and you're the adjutant to where, great, I'll go do it. If it'll just get you off my back, 
And although you're, you may go, well, that's kind of a very quirky way of doing it. That maybe is what is needed to get that first visit in to where for the person that's got baggage and stuff bottled up, it's less stressful for them to go talk to a stranger for an hour and start talking about it than to open up to you or others. Sometimes that's it. And just being constantly on them about it. Um, I, I understand that if you push too far, that can be an explosive situation. I think people need to be aware of that. But if, if the, the partner, the, your, your wife, I'll say in this situation, has an understanding that you're not right or there's something that you need to work on. Sometimes calling the counselor and saying, hey, we're gonna go to Starbucks for coffee. And all of a sudden, both of you end up at the counselor's office and, oh, sorry, we're not, we'll get a latte afterwards. Those types of things I've seen in, in my workspace where people have asked for advice. And they said, I'm not one to give marital advice because for most of my life, I have not been married, so I have no business. But they said, this might work. Hopefully it doesn't blow up in your face. And more times than not, the, the, the male in the relationship was upset that they showed up at the, at the psychologist's office, but almost always still went in and valued the relationship of the marriage or the, the uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever was going on to where they felt and, and, and respected their partner enough to where they went in and began a discussion of whatever was going on in their life. Uh, doesn't work for everybody, but just being open about it. I, I think we have so many stories about I'll say the crazy uncle at uh, Thanksgiving that, you know, is, um, I'll say, has one too many to drink, but no one really talks about it. They just kind of let him be and he'll watch his football games in the basement. Um, and then someone will drive him home and, you know, okay, that's good. We'll see him next year. But, you know, his friends and family should be addressing that, I think. Um, and because I think it's a shame that I'll say Uncle Fred may not be around next year. And how bad would it be if, you know, his life could be different and the relationships around him could be different if some of that stuff that has been going on for years in childhood or adult life could have been worked on, not perfected, not solved per se, but just worked on. Yeah, that's so insightful and such good advice because it is important. Usually when we need something, we're not going to, it's going to be really hard for us to ask for help. We we have to have that person to be willing to say, you need to do this. We need to do this together. We yeah. we need to get this taken care of so we can have a better marriage or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, wow. As we wrap up, um, I'd love to hear just what what what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your journey? The idea that, um, and it was kind of the title of, of my chapter of keep moving forward, that you may not have an answer today to everything that's going on. You may not solve world peace. Um, I'd love to have answers to the pandemic for everyone I can share with your audience. I don't. Um, <laughs> but if you are the person that has been impacted by something, there has to be a, a mindset of there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train. There's actually light that there tomorrow will get better, whatever tomorrow is. And it may be three years from now before you actually get out of that tunnel and you're going, oh, that was a long time. Um, but it may only be three weeks. And to keep, be motivated to that at the end, you know, whether you're married, you have family, kids, grandkids, parents, 
ultimately, to some degree, we're all responsible for our own lives and how we live them uh, within the, confront, uh, the, the confluence of relationships that give yourself the benefit of the doubt, give yourself a break for what's going on, and keep thinking about a positive day or a positive outcome. And along that way, when someone wants to give you advice or wants, when someone wants to help, um, don't be afraid to reach out your hand. And whether it be, I'll say the, the male pride aside, put that garbage aside because we're at a time and place where everybody should be open about talking about everything. Shouldn't be, well, guys are, guys are tough and not gonna talk about it. Forget that, get it out because uh, your relationships, your future relationships, your kids, your family, and your future self will be more, will be better off by you thinking about tomorrow as a positive day and getting the help that you need along the way, whether that be a great deal of help or just a little bit of help. Mm, so good. So good. I have so appreciated this conversation, Jorik, just you open opening up to us to share um, what you've learned in your journey, um, how we can be more vulnerable with our, our significant others and those that we love around us and, um, and just really not pushing things down and shoving them into a box and like letting it out so that we can move forward like your chapter signifies. So, um, you know, if you want to read his story, I'm telling you, it is powerful. I've read it a couple of times already. It is in the Lemonade Stand 2 anthology and I will leave a link in the show notes so you can easily find it you can find it on Amazon as well um, but if if anyone wants to connect with you what's the best way for my listeners to find you the easiest way is on Facebook I guarantee I'm the only Jorick McLean on Facebook in fact I'm the only <laughs> Jorick McLean on the planet uh, as well as I have a YouTube channel where I talk about travel and what it's like to live overseas and some of the challenges so they can find me on YouTube Again, if they type in Jorick McLean in Google, they're going to find me on, on most social media pages. And please follow me, message, ask questions. I'm, I'm a pretty open book and a straight shooter, so I'm, I'm not going to hold back. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jorick. Thank you for joining us on Red Hot Mindset. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Before we go, though, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform if you haven't already. This will make sure you have access to all future episodes so you don't miss any of them. If you resonated with this episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify, as reviews are an important part of growing this podcast. If you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy this podcast, be sure to take a screenshot and share it with them. And if you're not a part of the free Mindful Mamas online community, consider joining us. It's a community built to provide support, mindset, and encouragement as you develop your gifting, live intentionally, and go after your biggest goals, God's way. Head on over to www.redhotmindset.com to check out the show notes and find the link to join the community. I hope you step into the fire with me each and every episode because I know you will come out stronger. That's all for now. Talk with you real soon. Bye, winner.